Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Our class today is about a topic. It's a topic in halakha, with, which is uh, I can say, a very sensitive issue. But this discussion started based on an email that I got from a friend, one of our congregants, who is deaf-mute. And uh, he attends services here. Usually, have an interpreter to do ASL, American Sign Language. Uh, and he himself was invited as an interpreter to a Shabbaton for the deaf blind. He described it to me. It was just amazing. There were basically 18 people who are deaf blind. And Wait, they have both afflictions, or either deaf blind, deaf and blind. All 18 were deaf yes, and blind. Yes, right. 18 people were deaf and blind. And with the support group around them, families and counselors and interpreters, there were 90 people. Meaning that, you know, it's really, in order to interpret, they, you need two, sometimes three people. Basically, he, uh, um, he holds the hands of the blind, deaf blind person and sends messages through touch. And, but to, for him to know what is being said, he has to, to look at the, the person who is interpreting the language to ASL. So, spoken word, to sign language, to touch. And he says that uh, they prefer to do this than to take a, a hearing person to do the touch signs, because as a deaf-mute person, he has greater sensitivity and greater... Uh, understanding of the nuances of the language. So all this is very complicated. So, and it also really uh, brings us to this, to this, you know, thinking of how, uh, how much we should appreciate what we have, that to have this kind of impediment of someone not being able to fully engage in what is happening around them and not to be able to, to, to get to process this uh, kind of information. Um, so what happened, and this is what started this, this class, he sent me an email that when they had the, the prayers, Shabbat morning, and this obviously, this is all from people, uh, rabbis of different levels who are doing it, you know, to have the Shabbat experience. But when they had the Torah reading, he noticed that the first three aliyot were given to hearing people and not to deaf Deaf mute or deaf blind. So we approached the rabbi, we organized it, and he pushed him. And finally, the fourth and fifth aliyah were given to a deaf mute person, and the, the seventh, sixth aliyah, and seventh aliyah were given to, to a deaf blind person. And and he insisted, says, I want I want to know why don't you give us one of the regular aliyot, Kohen Levi Israel, one of the regular aliyot. Finally, the rabbi said. Is because the the blessing has to be said in front of ten people, and the ten people have to hear the blessing. So he, he emailed me to ask, being that this is such a unique occasion, can you bend the halakha? What what are what are the parameters of the parameters of, of the halakha on that issue? So this is something that I thought about before, and I dealt with like different halakha questions that are related to it somehow, but. <coughs> 
the first thing that I wanted to do is to try to understand why in the um, mentality of the rabbis there was a distinction between death, uh, deafness and blindness. Because it seems that you know, from the very beginning there is, if you look at halachot, the, a deaf person, deaf person always sort of uh, put to one side and the blind person to another side. Um, so I felt that there, there are a couple of uh, factors here. A blind person can communicate because the, uh, he has the uh, command of the language. He can communicate and that always was the case that through the, the uh, spoken word you could communicate with that person and he could communicate back. And so people felt that they are on the same level. They have some kind of contact with that person. On the other hand, a deaf-mute person, um, until I think very recently that uh, the, the, the idea of sign language was fully developed, uh, in many cases, those people uh, lived in isolation, were not able to communicate with others, or only with people who knew, uh, were very close to them, so they were cut off in terms of communication from the rest of the world. And therefore, it did not have this kind of... Uh, of a dialogue where people can understand what they're, where they are, what their problem is. I think also there's, a, there's a, paradoxically, there's something which is opposite. People tend to think that uh, being blind is much worse than being deaf. The most people think that you ask, I, I think that if you ask most people, what is, what is worse, losing one's hearing completely or losing eyesight, they will tell you obviously eyesight. But psychologists and people who work, you know, with the uh, and, and say, say neuroscientists say that uh, it's actually not true. That um, the majority of the information that we process comes through the ears, much more than what comes through the eyes. And you realize that when you, when even as we're sitting here, what we can see with our eyes right. is within a certain range and a certain uh, scope. But we hear things from all over, and that is a process that starts already in the womb. So for someone to be cut off from sound is a, is a terrible isolation, terrible, terrible isolation. Uh, even though they could make eye contact and see, for someone to be deaf-blind, is, this is really, uh, I don't think it's really unbearable to think of that. Um, so when the rabbis were dealing with, with those issues, they look at the person who's blind and can still communicate, and they think even though his loss is so immense, still he can communicate. So he's an intelligent person. Whereas when they try to communicate with a deaf-mute, who they think is, should be more intelligent because he only lost his hearing, and he cannot communicate, and say, oh, so he's not intelligent at all. Because his loss is not that great, yet it cannot communicate. So that it's, a par- it's a paradox. So that's why the rabbis put, uh, put the deaf-mute in the same category with the minor and with a, what they call a fool, shote, someone who's mentally ill. Be- because they felt that they have no dot. The concept called dot is intelligence or wisdom or discretion, and that is something that a deaf-mute person does not possess. So that's, I think, the second reason why the rabbis treated blindness differently than uh, deafness. I'm going, the rabbis, I'm talking about the rabbis of the Mishnah, going back 2,000 years. 
The third reason that over the years, even though in the in the in the years of, in the early years of the Mishnah, the rabbis uh, made some restrictions for blind people, but those were eased slowly throughout the generations, and that is, I think, because it was much more common for someone to be a scholar, even though he was he was blind, or for someone uh, who was a scholar to lose his eyesight with the years completely more common than uh, more commonly than completely losing his hearing. So the rabbis felt more uh, an ability to empathize with the blind than with the deaf because there were many rabbis who were blind but not that many who were deaf. Were there actually better hope at that time? At the time of the Mishnah, yes. We're talking about the, exactly about the time where the Barachot are established. It's exactly the period we're talking about. So, so let's go through the sources that we have here. So the first source that is commonly cited in all the, the, the sources that deal with the Halakha is this. Tnan, Suma, and no Koreba Torah. Suma is the Aramaic language, uh, Aramaic word for a blind person. In Hebrew it's Iver. In Aramaic they say Suma. So, Suma cannot read the Torah. Everybody re- refers to this uh, phrase in the Talmud or in the Mishnah, but it's really not written there. It's only by, uh, by omission that we, we, we say that a blind person cannot read the Torah because they speak about other people who could do certain things in the Bet Knesset and they say they cannot do A, B, C and the blind person cannot do A and C but they not mention B, so they came to the conclusion that a blind person cannot read the Torah. So that was the original law of the Mishnah. We're talking about uh, almost 2,000 years ago. The Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, writes the following. I'm reading the Hebrew first and then the English. So the Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, in the 1500s, writes in the name of Rabbi Yosef ben Haviva from Spain, from the 14th century. He says, when the Mishnah says that the blind person cannot read the Torah, it means that he cannot read it by heart. Because you're not allowed to read by heart written verses. That is the rule. So you cannot recite by heart parts of the written law, which is in other circumstances, this also, uh, this ban sort of was lifted. But here what we see is that a later rabbi, much later, about almost a thousand, more than a thousand years after the Mishnah, says, oh, I look at this, this halakha that says that a blind person cannot read the Torah, and I'm telling you, this is only to read it by heart. But if the, the cantor or the reader stands next to him and reads it out loud, and he repeats it, it's okay. So, one of two things. Either that uh, reservation or, or qualification of the law was contained in the original law, or it was not. It could be that it's an interpretation or a, uh, an accommodation. Rabbi Yosef ben Haviva, the, 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 the author of Nimuke Yosef, for some reason felt that a blind person should be able to get an aliyah. And he said, okay, so as long as he does not read the Torah himself, but someone reads out loud and he hears it, it's okay. 
Um, so from a later period, from uh, Rabbi Mordechayaf, who lived in Poland in the 16th century, we read this. He says, So he says, by the way, the Bet Yosef who quotes the, the previous statement that a blind person can get an aliyah doesn't agree with that. He rejected, he says, uh, no way, a blind person cannot get an aliyah and that is his final ruling. And many later rabbis followed in his, uh, uh, in his path and they said, a blind person cannot get an aliyah. That was in most Sephardi communities. In the Ashkenazi communities, however, they were more lenient or strict, however you look at it, um, strict about not, not hurting his feelings. So they said, when there is a need, let's say maybe if you don't have someone else to call to the Torah, or if you need to give the blind person an aliyah, there's a specific need, let's say there's a wedding, or he has a yortzai, then you cannot come up with an excuse that he cannot receive an aliyah. And in order to appease him, so there will no, not be a dispute for that person to be, the blind person will say, why are you not giving me an aliyah? Like my friend alone said, why are you not giving the deaf blind or the deaf mute an aliyah? And he was fighting with them. In order to prevent that from happening, or in some cases where, and I didn't mention here, Rabbi Hamid uh, David Alevi, uh, the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, writes of a case where someone was publicly prevented from getting an aliyah, was, was embarrassed, uh, and in that case he was a veteran of the IDF, he lost his eyesight in the army, and he says it's a, it's a double pain, double hurt, not, not recognizing his sacrifice for the country, and embarrassing him publicly, so he says he found an interesting twist. Now, this is the way we start seeing twists in Halakha. The first twist was Rabbi Yosef ben Haviva. Oh, the blind man cannot read the Torah because uh, that is if he reads it himself. But if someone else reads in ears, it's okay. The Levush, Rabbi Mordechai says, in the name of the Zohar, when the Torah was given, Moshe was the intermediary. And the people kept quiet. So when you read the Torah in the Beth Knesset, the reader, or the layener, as they read, the reader is like Moshe Rabbeinu, and the one who gets the Aliyah is like the Israelites. So he should keep quiet. He, should, he doesn't have to repeat it. So just hearing is okay. So he goes a step further. He says, he doesn't even have to say it after the, after the cat, he just has to say it, he just has to listen. Uh, now we have a, a, a different twist on it and this is sort of a rule of thumb when you see too many excuses or too many explanations you know that something sort of either something is fundamentally wrong or the, all these excuses are um, are not telling you the truth meaning the truth here is that's what I think is the rabbis throughout the generations decided we have to find a way to give a blind person aliyah. But we have a text that says no, so now we have to find a way to reconcile them. So two, uh, there were two solutions that we saw so far. Now, in a, in a book called Binyamin Ze'ev, which was written by Rabbi Binyamin ben Matatia, 
in Greece in the 16th century. He says, The blind man who can only read by heart cannot read the Sefer Torah. But this, Yeshlomar, this only refers to the cantor himself. If the cantor is blind, he cannot read the Torah for others because he has to cover for them. Well, that's reading by heart. That's reading by heart, right. So this is really a twist. But it says this is the, this is the, meaning, the original meaning of the Mishnah that says that uh, a blind person cannot read the Torah, meaning reading for others. And just so besides, sure I understand, yeah. they're not allowed to read by heart because fearful they may make a mistake without being able to see. We don't know why. This sort of like a mystical rule. Even though in later generations they said that they limited this rule. They said this is only when uh, you didn't have enough written books. Now that you have enough written books, you could read by heart, so maybe what you're saying is true. That they were afraid that if you recite only by heart, you become the authentic source for the text, and maybe, and th- those things happen, by the way. Yeah. So, so now, the, uh, Binyamin Zaev, or Rabbi Binyamin ben Matatya, says, the, the restriction for a blind man to read is only if he is the Hazan. So we already find the, three, the third one. Uh, then we have a teshuvah by Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg, who passed away recently. Well, he lived in the 20th century, and and he writes to someone uh, who argues against giving a blind person an aliyah. And he writes to him, This is in page two. Hagam shemevi bedvarav divrei. He quotes several books: Rabbi Chaim David Azulai, Rov Dagan, other rabbis. Even though you yourself cited many rabbis who rule against Rabbi Yosef Kao, who say that you can, you are allowed to give a blind man an aliyah, still you are trying, you really strive to, to prove that it's forbidden. That, that, that is Rabbi Waldenberg speaking. So he says, and this is in the name of the Sephardic tradition, so he says, let me tell you what the book Pahad Yitzhak writes. Pahad Yitzhak, Rabbi Yitzhak Lampronti, lived in Italy in the, uh, in the 17th, 18th century, and he wrote an uh, encyclopedia of halakha called Pahad Yitzhak, where he wrote halakhot under, under entry. So he had an entry of suma, of a blind person, all the halakhot that are related to it. And he writes the following, Bishnat Taflamit Het, in the year 1678, uh, Rabbi so now he tells us a specific case. There was a rabbi, here's the name, Rabbi Binyamin Ashkenazi. Not only that, he tells, you, he tells you that he lost his eyesight because of a certain disease called varil, which I don't know what it is, I have to find out. Uh, he lost it at the age of two, of two years, so two years old when he lost it. Uh, either that or with the word Yud Sheben, meaning he, for two years he lost his eyesight. Maybe it was something, it's a temporal thing, right. or, or gradual, like a, a macular degeneration or something like that. Uh, yet, in all of the communities in Germany and in Italy, he was honored with an aliyah. Probably was traveling uh, between the, among the communities, and 
he would get an aliyah. So we have a specific case of a rabbi getting an aliyah, but already we see the, the argument that I mentioned at the beginning. Now, we're not talking just about a, uh, an anonymous, you know, a general case of someone who cannot see, but rather of a rabbi that we know by name and time period and where, where he lived. So it becomes more personal. And I almost feel as if the rabbis who wrote that were thinking, what if it happens to me? What if it happens to me and I lose my eyesight and I would be prevented from reading the Torah or doing a certain mitzvah? I need to legislate. I'm not saying that it's conscious. could be subconscious. But that's part of the empathy. When you feel that, you know, uh, you feel that what happened to him can happen to you as well, you understand the problem at a deeper level and you're willing to find a solution. And he says also, he goes on, Rabbi Yitzhak Lampondi to say, V'chen be'modena, karu Rabbi Asher levi l'sefer Torah, suma, af'al pishu lo'ayat ramit hacham. And in the city of Modena, they called a man, here you have the name, Asher Levi, was called to the Torah, even though he was not a Talmid Hacham. Why? What is the big deal about him not being a Talmid Hacham? They said uh, the, that the cantor reads for those who cannot read for themselves. But if someone is Amaretz and never bothered to learn how to read, ideally you should not give him an Aliyah. Because he should learn. Go learn and read, your, read for yourself. <coughs> so if someone is both blind and, uh, and, and not, not learned, one could say, don't give him an idea. He doesn't have the, uh, the credit for that. But they give him anyway. It was, so it's not because of his scholarship now, but rather because just anyone deserves an idea, even though he's blind. Uh, and the same thing in the city of Ferrara. In Italy, that anyone, Amaaretz, even even an ignorance, gets an aliyah, uh, even though he's a blind person. So he says we have a proof that this minhag of giving aliyah to a blind person spread also among the Sephardim. So therefore, that person who uh, publicly humiliated that blind man and prevented from get, getting an aliyah is uh, has erred. And he says, mm-hmm. atone for his sin." Exactly. So he takes it. To one of the commandments it says that, that you have to like somebody and you shouldn't lead a blind person. Right, it's part of that. So, but now the problem is, and now I said in the beginning <coughs> that it's done in the name of halacha. People say, "Of course, I love." Everyone, I care for everyone, but the halakha says that a blind person cannot read the Torah. So if he reads and he goes up and he says a bracha, the bracha is in vain. Now, of the kaf, you have to know that reading the Torah publicly is a rabbinical practice. Saying a blessing is a rabbinical practice. The concern about saying Hashem, Hashem's name in vain is also rabbinical. Because when you say, it's not, it's not biblical, no, because when the Torah says, it is, but when the Torah says, Lo tisa it means do not make a false oath. 
That's called Laset Nechem Elohim Because you attach it to a testimony in court. It, you are validating a false testament, a testimony with the name of God. But to say, if one wants to say all day long, praise be God and for what He did for me, and says, Because He's happy, you could do it all day long. So, but the, for the, the it's not in vain. Yeah. If there is a meaning there, if there's an if there is intention, if you, if, if what is what is Birkat Torah? What is Birkat Torah? We say it every morning, Baruch Atah, right? Uh, and I could say when we give a class, we say Baruch Atah Hashem Lo Nemer Cholam, Asher Baharbanu Mikol Amim. Thank you for uh, choosing us and giving us the Torah. Why wouldn't a blind person be able to do that? He also is part of that. Okay, so. And, so but on the other hand, embarrassing someone publicly or causing him pain is a biblical prohibition. So when you have a clash between a biblical prohibition and a rabbinical prohibition, which one wins? The biblical prohibition, don't break it. So those rabbis who worked hard to find a solution for the blind people, on one hand, empathized with them. On the other hand, understood intuitively that this limitation as written in the original Mishnah cannot really be applied on a regular basis. So how are these hachamim? <laughs> Coming up with oh. this door. Different class. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. Okay. Now, we, we're dealing with, we have to remember that uh, um, the rabbis who wrote the Mishnah basically created the system of, uh, of, the, of brachot, of tefillot. Yes? And Yes, maybe in, in certain cases, the, uh, the implications of certain restrictions were not thought thoroughly, because the, maybe it was not that common. Maybe they couldn't imagine how Torah reading will become such a central element. It is, it is possible. And on the other, the other thing is, and that is more, more important, I think, when you think about a deaf-mute person, they did not fully understand because they didn't have the tools to understand the mental capacities of a deaf-mute person. And I agree with that 100%. But they do have sensitivity as a human being. The, one, they do have sensitivity. That, that they do have yes. sensitivity. So that's why I say it was not intentional to cause pain to anyone. I'll give an example just when we say about that. People, you know, uh, uh, people with cerebral palsy, you know, up to uh, not too recently, people thought that they cannot communicate at all. Then they realized that they could communicate through certain signs. And, but it's a very slow process. It takes them a long time to, to uh, point at signs and put them together. In, in uh, I think in the, the 60s, or 70s, there was, a, was a, uh, a Jewish gentleman who lived in Australia who wanted to invent an international language, al Esperanto, but it wasn't necessary. He wanted to do it very concise, only with symbols. No one was able to, to command that language. And in a, with a certain quirk of, I don't know how this happened, a certain school for kids with cerebral palsy in Canada got in touch with him, and those kids were able to take those symbols that he created and, and turn them into a language and they could communicate with full uh, fluently paragraphs and, and, and uh, sentences and paragraphs uh, 
that so you, here you have a case that of a of a certain condition that people could not understand up until recently. So to think that this was the same in, in the time in rabbinical time is not so far fetched. We also look at it from we living in the twenty first century. The yeah. mentality back then for people with disabilities was a lot different, so they would not even be classified. It was it was different, but within Judaism, right. we must say, even though there were restrictions for people who were mentally ill, uh, that they could not fully participate in Jewish life, but they were protected. So, for example, meaning that that when you think about uh, the mentally ill in France who were chained, basically, uh, I think until the uh, until the, the revolution, right? I don't know how how far long in in Judaism they said that if you harm someone who's mentally ill, you have you will be fully punished. But if he harmed you, he's not held responsible. Or, for example, if a woman became mentally unstable, the husband is not allowed to divorce her because then the fear is that she's going to be uh, abused or taken advantage of. So he must keep her, uh, even if in in certain cases he will be allowed to remarry, but he must uh, remain a custodian. So there is great sensitivity uh, there. So, but this is part of the process. We're not claiming that at a certain point rabbis were not sensitive, but the original halakha was established and maybe not fully thought uh, through how what will be the impact for future generations. Uh, and throughout the years, different rabbis came up with different solutions of making the Torah accessible for the blind. Now, here is Rabbi Avadeh Yosef in oh. Uh, yeah, here's Rabbi Avadeh Yosef writes in Yabi Omer this. Uh, he quotes Rabbi Moshe ben Haviv from Salonika, 17th century, uh, who says this, Even though we know that you cannot read from the Torah even one word by heart, and therefore a blind person cannot read the Torah, is that even though this is uh, known, Says, wait a second, we see the reality. Now, here it's not a halachic argument anymore. The other rabbis that we saw made halachic arguments. The, the Talmud says a blind person cannot read the Torah, and they said, oh, it means he cannot read by heart, cannot read for himself cannot read for the community. He should not read, I mean, the ideal is for him to be quiet and it's okay. Rabbi Moshe ben Hamid says, we see blind people getting aliyah on a regular basis. But who are those blind people? He says, they wear glasses. He says, take off their glasses, they cannot read. So, in the time of the Mishnah, what would they be called? They would be blind. Blind. Right? So here's interesting, it's an interesting twist. It says, why would you consider that person a seeing person? Because he has glasses. That's a new invention. That according, according to the original halakha, he's not eligible to read the Torah. It says, and they say the bacha before and after. No one ever questioned that. 
כל הלכה שהיא רופפת בידיך, צא וריח הציבור נוהג, ונוהג כן. He says, he quotes the Talmud Yerushalmi, whenever you don't know what the rule is, the halakha is in question, go and see what the people do and follow them. And then he quotes another Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Reiser, from, uh, uh, who lived in Prague in the 17th, 18th century. He says, even though you could have argued that this, this kind of sight is not called eyesight because if you take off the glasses, uh, then he cannot see. But if you look at the, at the practice, exactly like Maram ben Haviv, the Hazanim read through glasses. So not only, now step further, not only the Ole gets, reads through, through glasses, the cantor himself, think about that, in most synagogues, who would keep on reading the Torah? The one who read it for 30 and 40 years, he already knows it by heart. <laughs> and, and at a certain point, he's going to use glasses. Now, here's the, this is really, I, I, I found that, I said, it's proved my point. That a rabbi empathizes with a problem that he sees as a personal thing. He says, Regarding the lever law, when God forbid one of the brother, and a, a brother passes away without children, and his sister-in-law should marry, I mean, his, his, sorry, Brother. The widow should marry one of the, her brother-in-law. Uh, so either they do Yibum, he marries her, or they do Halitza, remove the shoe. The Torah says clearly, She would come in front of the elders. And it says, They should see the whole process. It Says, but the rabbis, who are the rabbis who deal with such complicated cases? They are the elders, they are the veteran rabbis, and most of them wear glasses. So he says, you have people who are legally blind, sitting in, in judgment, where they have to see the litigants or the two participants, and they don't see them. Well, unless, so it means it's okay. What he said, what the, both of them say in other words is, uh, really, the this could happen to us as well. We are also the rabbis. What, are you going to write me off? It cannot be. So let me find a solution. Now, now let's move from this to the question of the deaf and the deaf mute, because, or the deaf blind. Because the argument of that rabbi was, you have to say the blessing, the blessing must be heard by ten people. Where, where, do you get it? where did you get it from? Where did you get it from? Uh, is it really that idea that you must the people in the synagogue must hear the blessing, or maybe the blessing must be communicated to them. And as long as they know that the blessing was said, they can say Amen. Right? Who said that they have to hear words? And why, why was it, what was the real reason that a deaf-mute person was originally blocked from getting an aliyah? So, so I'm, I'm reading that. What? Yeah. So it means if you say a berachah internally, <laughs> yeah, it is a baracha, it is a blessing. And the truth is that the blessing for the Torah, and that's the other argument, really, you need to know the whole scope. The blessing for the Torah is not, uh, sorry, the aliyah is not dependent of the baracha. If someone went up to the Torah and did not say a baracha, and you had seven people, you read for seven people, you fulfilled the mitzvah. Actually, the original practice mentioned in the Mishnah was 
that the first one of the seven olim says the first blessing, and the last one says the last blessing. So there are only two blessings for seven people and not 14 as we have today. Mm. Which I, I think, you know, where we see that it would make more sense is when we don't have a, a, a Levi and we say, and it's a little strange that the Quran just says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You read three psukim, it looks repetitive. Okay, so really, you don't even need the baracha. You need, but what you need is that the person who gets the aliyah would know what is being read. Now, so there are two problems here. The one problem is that intuitively, you feel that the blind person hears the message of the Torah, even though he doesn't see it, but the deaf, uh, the deaf mute person does not hear it but for the deaf mute now that now that we understand that they're not mentally ill as or mentally incapable as the rabbis in the, in the time of the Mishnah thought at least they could see they could follow with the Hazan but a deaf blind person has none of that so in Yabi Omeri says whenever the rabbis included the deaf with minors and the mentally ill they meant the deaf mute but if one hears when people speak loudly or with a device, he's considered piker. He could, he is like uh, piker is for the word lifkoh to open, so his ears are open. He can hear. Um, an elderly scholar who uses a hearing aid is allowed to be a judge. This teaches us that hearing through a device is considered hearing. So, first of all, they made the concession also with deafness that if you could hear through a device, it's called hearing. But note again, Rabbi Yosef says, Talmid Hacham can be Dayan. Again, is the question of where is the personal connection, where is my narrative there? But he does admit, and that we know, the reason that the rabbis wrote off the deaf mute is because they were not able to communicate with them. So they thought that they're mentally, they are incapable, which is painful to hear today, but we don't know that if we lived back then, we would know that we would think differently. Right. So prior to being able to find ways to really teach much other than what you need to do to get through a day. Right? So there was no in-depth method of being able to teach or educate a blind and deaf person. Right. I think also, back in the day, uh, the, the society, except for Jewish society, was not so much text-dependent. The text was needed for Torah learning. But other than that, most of, your, most of your skills you acquired by observation and practice and being an apprentice. So a deaf mute person could have done that, but they looked at it as, is like a machine. He's just copying what you're doing. He doesn't have a, a deep understanding of what he does. Uh, but slowly they changed that. So now, uh, in, in, uh, in, I want one more source. Rabbi Avram Danziger and Hayadam says, you cannot say, Kaddish, Kedusha, Baruchu, unless you have ten people, uh, because they have to understand what is being said. For the, because for them, a deaf mute person does not understand. No, no, no. But why is there? Why do you have to have ten people to say? Okay, that's a, but that, but, okay, okay. yeah, that's a, that's a, another. Yeah, but let's say the the the, the rabbis, the Mishnah established you need ten people, mm-hmm. and we established that those ten people need to understand what's going on. So a minor, even though he understands, is not barda. And but for a minor, it's another story. You had to draw the line, because mm-hmm. if you don't draw the line between 
13 and under 13, you would have to run a psychometric, you know, a test for each person who comes into the synagogue. So those are things that are clearly visible. But, you know, you could just say, if I only want to look at the last line, he says, even if he studies in a special school for the deaf-mute, which uh, help the students acquire that, acquire knowledge, so the way he sees it is they don't have intrinsic knowledge or intelligence, it is something that they acquire uh, from the outside, meaning the, in essence they still remain as the rabbis understood that someone who doesn't understand what's going on, but they are given like sort of an external help to get that. So, so now, here, now here's my dilemma. Now we come to the question. I want to argue that just like a normal, not normal, a uh, uh, hearing or seeing person can get an aliyah, and just as the rabbis found ways to allow a blind person to get an aliyah, and they found ways to allow a person who lost uh, part of his hearing and here's through a device or a hearing aid to get aliyah, so also we should do it for the deaf mute and the deaf blind. How would I argue that? So I would go directly back to the Torah. The Torah says the following, The whole nation in Matan Torah, it says they saw the sounds. This is what people call it's synesthesia. It's two senses coming together. Did they see or did they hear? So neither. It's to see the voices means that you just know what's, what's going on. You can't even define if you saw the words or you heard the words, but you understood the words. That's really the meaning of that it becomes so embedded in you that you feel... Now, a deaf person who's communicating with ASL sees the voices. You will see. Right? And a deaf blind person who gets it through touch, feels the voices. And not only that, the people come to Moshe and says, you talk to us because we cannot hear directly from God. So now Moshe is the interpreter. So it is valid to learn hear Torah through an interpreter. And God goes on to say, tell the people, you saw that I spoke with you. The repetition of the same idea of seeing the voices. So <clears throat> if we think of Again, the reason, why do we say the blessing for the Torah? For the benefit that we derive from the Torah. And that is something at the moral, personal, human level, anyone, everyone enjoys, right? But here's another interesting pasuk, especially interesting with the Midrash on it. Towards the end of the Torah in Devarim, the pasuk says, Write this poetry, which... The rabbis understand as referring to the whole Torah. The Torah is Shira. Teach it to the Israelites. Put it in their mouth. Put it in their mouth. How do you put something in someone's mouth? By talking? It goes to the ear, right? So the Midrash says this. The Torah could only be acquired through signals. Because the word sima also means siman. So he means signals, uh, signs, musical notes, uh, uh, mnemonic devices. But in other words, it's the acquiring the Torah does not, it could be maybe stenography. You don't have to remember the whole Torah word by word, 
but remember bullets, remember the, the, the rules. So if a deaf mute person or a deaf blind person can understand the core ideas and the words and the messages, even if it takes longer for him to hear regular Aliyah, based on all that we've seen so far, we could argue that with our newly acquired understanding of the ability of the deaf mute and the deaf blind to communicate, the halakha should be that they should get regular aliyot. And if we want everyone to, to answer amen, they either people should assume when the person went there and did something with language, with, with signs, that he did said the barakha, and you just say amen, or the interpreter should interpret it to the community and say, now say amen. And we actually have a, 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 a case, a historical case of the great synagogue in Alexandria that was so big that the people could not hear the hazan. So the yes. gabai would stand next to him and raise a flag, like for amen. So they could say the barakha even though they didn't hear it. So based on all that, I would argue that the... Uh, that is just from the halachic point of view, but really my argument is that we should empathize and understand the problem, not to reject people because uh, we don't feel that their problem uh, applies to us. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.